Well, good morning, everyone. Man, you guys are a sight for sore eyes. I missed you all the last two weeks. At least one of you missed me. Thank you. Yeah. It is, it's good to see you guys. Happy Father's Day to you. Uh, real quick, how many fathers in the room? Just raise your hands. Quite a few. All right. All right. Uh, real quick, who, who, is the, uh, who is the newest father? Who here thinks they're the newest father? Seriously, I don't think you are a father. Um, uh, uh, who, who is the newest father? Sorry, we had a teenage girl in the back. <laughs> just, yeah, just so you're wondering. Okay, who is the newest father? Like six months, six months, a year. Oh, Todd, yeah. It's got to be, is it you, Todd? Who, okay, who else? All right, nobody, nobody's going to claim it. All right, fine. We're going to move on. We'll find, we'll find, we'll hunt you down later, and we'll find out who you were, because we actually had a gift for you, but hey, we are glad that you are here today. My name is Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and um, you, you'd notice a few things here today, I'm sure. You'd notice that um, we don't really take ourselves super seriously You've seen a lot of fun. Obviously, I'm thankful for my wife and uh, for Vanetta uh, stepping in for Jeff and I. We don't, we don't take ourselves super seriously, but we do take God and his word very seriously. We do. And we live in a world, we, we realize we live in a world where not everybody agrees on this. So we know in a room like this, whenever, whenever I stand up to teach God's word, I realize and I understand that, that you may have a different perspective than, than what you know, what I have to say. And so week after week, I try to remind you, if you have questions or if you want to engage in conversation, I want to be able to have face-to-face conversations with you just so maybe I can learn from you and, and more than anything, hopefully all of us can learn from God's Word. So that's, that's what we're endeavoring to do here. Over the last four weeks, myself and several of our other pastors have been communicating on some of the most controversial topics really in our culture. We've been talking about some things that, that I really will only have face-to-face conversations with people about. Like if people have questions about it, oftentimes people will email me and they'll say, hey, what do you think about you know, this issue? Most of these issues that we've been talking about are conversations I will not have through email or through text. They're conversations that I only sit down with somebody eyeball to eyeball because they're so personal and because they, they tend to, if not step through carefully, bring hurt where we really do not need to bring hurt. We need to bring care and empathy, and I believe that proximity Getting close to one another breeds empathy. Now this week, we are kind of deviating from that, but I do want to remind you that in this series, each week has built upon each other, and so I can't answer every question each week. If you didn't get to hear the first four weeks, I'd urge you to go back and listen to them because each week has built on top of one another. But to get started, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. About eight years ago, um, a person that I had met one time I'll give you her name because you don't know where she's different city and all that stuff, and you wouldn't have any clue. Her name is Jamie. A person that I had met one time at a gathering, a birthday party for a friend of mine. I met her briefly. My wife and I had interacted with her very briefly 
On a Thursday afternoon, she walked into my office in Kansas City. No, there was no, like, appointment. There was nothing. She walked in, walked right past my assistant, and came into my office, and she said this. Are you ready? She said, I'm serving my husband divorce papers. I want you to come with me. I was scared. I really was. In all seriousness, like I want to be, be honest with you, I was scared. I was scared. Because I knew that the way that I responded in that situation was critical. And I said, wow, Jamie, help me understand. First of all, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It sounds like you are really hurting. Sounds like you've been through a lot. Can you help me understand? And she started to tell me about how her, her husband over the last 10 plus years had been increasingly ignoring her and their children and how life had increasingly just gotten more and more painful. And it was hard for me to hear her story because I could see her pain and I could see how difficult it was. And I really, to this day, other than what happened later, I still have no idea why she walked into my office and asked me and said that to me. I, I don't know. I don't know why, but she did. And my response to her in the end, after listening and hearing, my response to her was this, Jamie, I can't. I've not been able to walk with you and your husband through this. I've not been able to, to sit down and try and care for you and care for him and try to encourage change and point in a direction where, where the things that have come between you two or the things going on inside of him can actually be dealt with. And because of that, I, I, can't, I can't go with you and deliver these divorce papers to your husband. But I said, the one thing I can do is this. I can tell you that if you'd be willing, I'd sit down with you. If he'd be willing, I'd sit down with him. But for right now, what I would love to do is I'd love to just pray. And I realize that sounds like a cop-out a little bit. But I'd like to ask God to show up in a powerful way and do something that really none of us expect him to do. I want to ask God to step into your home and into your marriage right now. It was one of those times where when I prayed, I was fully confident that God was going to do something. I don't have that all the time. I don't know if you do. Oftentimes, I know we pray and we talk to God and, and you know, it's up to God what he decides to do. But in this particular moment, for whatever reason, I had a full confidence in my mind that God was going to do something. Now, I'll, I'll tell you the rest of the story in a bit. But I tell you that story because it underscores the reality that marriage can be very difficult. Can I get... No, I'm not going to ask for amens. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would go really... Hey, whoa, whoa. <laughs> We're not going to ask for a raise of hands or anything like that here today, but the reality is marriage can be 
very, very difficult. And marriage is not kind of the only relational status that can be difficult. In fact, singleness can be difficult as well. I don't know if you know that. Sure you do. Today we're going to dive in and talk about briefly, okay? I'm going to try to keep it brief today because we've, we've had a lot of great things, but what we're going to talk about briefly is really just God's design for marriage and for singleness. Now, there's a ton that I can't cover in, a, in, in the next 15 minutes, okay? But I, I will do my best to, to cover a little bit. See, if you do a quick search on Amazon, you'll find, if you type in marriage, you will find that there are over, over 100,000 books on marriage. If you type in divorce, you'll find that there are over 50,000 books on divorce. If you type in singleness, you'll find that there are over 50,000 books that come up just in a search on singleness, which tells me that these things are difficult, and maybe, just maybe, we could use a little bit of guidance. God's design for marriage and for singleness are certainly not the only pathways that people go, but might I suggest to you that God's design is actually good and helpful and it protects us and it provides for us. The problem is there are a number of culturally normative ideas that really aren't good when it comes to marriage and to singleness. Let me share a few of them when it comes to marriage. There's some ideas that I think are really kind of false ideas about marriage. Number one, we tend to believe that the purpose of marriage is to make us happy. And the problem is then you get married and you get into the relationship and, and, the, and you, you know, you're married to somebody who, when they were dating, I mean, I'm telling you, they were like, they were Prince Charming. And then you got married and they were the devil incarnate. You think I'm joking, but in reality, sometimes there, I've, I've met people who have felt like that, that things just get difficult. And all of a sudden, we have this idea that you were going to be happy, and, and, and you're not so happy. What, what now? What do we do now? Secondly, we tend to think that the purpose of marriage is completeness, to complete us. In other words, if you're single, you aren't actually complete. Hold on a second. <laughs> can, we, can we back up? Over the series, we've been talking about identity, and we've talked about how each one of us is actually stamped with the image of God, which means you are complete whether you have a spouse or not. You are just who you need to be whether you have a spouse or not. And when we believe this idea that marriage is going to complete us, you know, a little Jerry Maguire, you complete me, you know. I love that movie, okay? I'm sorry. I know, I love T-Swizzle and Jerry Maguire. It's just the way it is. We tend to believe that marriage will complete us, and unfortunately we find that sometimes it just stretches us and makes, makes some things hard. And that's not bad, but it certainly doesn't complete us. And third, then when you've walked through something bad, we tend to believe that it's a curse or it's a trap. We say things like, oh, you got the old ball and chain, which people say jokingly, but it implies the idea that marriage is a curse or a trap. The good news is this, regardless of what your standing is, okay, 
regardless of how you showed up here today, here's what the scripture actually teaches us. It teaches us this, that singleness and marriage are both good gifts from God. They have different responsibilities and and, and different opportunities, but they are both good gifts from God. So no matter what status or what situation you find yourself in today, you are right where God wants you to be. The only question is, will we take advantage of the opportunities in front of us? It's hard to say, well, well, actually, let me back up. I've found... I found a lot of single people who come to me and they say, Aaron, I, uh, I really, really, really want to be married. I say, okay. Do you know what the funny thing is? I find a lot of married people who come to me and say, Aaron, I really, really want to be single. And that, that makes me sad. It makes me sad. And so what I want to present to you here today is a way that regardless of what setting you find yourself in, you can recognize that you have a good gift from God. You are already where God wants to use you. That's where you're at. So I want to walk you through. I'm going to, I'm going to move quickly and skip over a few things here today. But I want to walk you through two ways that we misuse these gifts, okay? First and foremost, two ways that we can kind of misuse these, these gifts. Number one, when it comes to married people, uh, we can misuse the gift of marriage when married people start living as though they're single. You ever seen that? You ever seen that? How would that happen? You have two people who are just dwelling together, and rather than becoming one, serving one another, taking care of each other, growing in intimacy, they live completely separate lives. Okay? Right? Let me just walk you through what the scripture has to say about marriage and the instructions that are given to us in Ephesians chapter 5, okay? Culturally, this is one of the passages that, 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 that our culture really struggles with. I'll explain why the culture struggles with it and how, you know, how that, that it's probably a misunderstanding of what it's saying. Starting in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands and wives, whoever you are, wherever, wherever you are, we are to mutually submit ourselves. To submit is to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of another. It's to voluntarily say, hey, I am yours, you are mine, I am here to serve you, okay? That's what we are called to do. Then in the instructions, it goes on in verse 22 and 23. It says this. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Let's just stop there for a minute. Notice a couple of words. The, the, first, okay, the first word that needs to be highlighted is the word own. Wives, when, when, when you get married, you, you, there's a misconception in our culture. Okay, There really is. There's a misconception, and I'll acknowledge this, sadly, in the church, it has been taught like this in, in certain places, that, that women are to be subservient to men. That is false. It stems from an idea, stems from, from, from a false idea about value and whether or not, you know, women are as valued as men. And here's the reality. Men and women are both created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them, period, bottom line. 
So ladies, you're not, we're not called to just to submit to all men. No, you're, you're called to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of your husband. That's it. That is it. Now, we'll get to this, but I've got to deal with this for a second. Because men, guess what that means? That means you better be putting them first. And one of the reasons this is such a problem is because so many men do not do this and do not put their wives first and fail to own the headship and leadership that they are called to. That's what men are called to. Guys, young guys who aren't married, you want to get married, you better learn how to put someone before yourself before you ever start dating. Ladies, you're looking at dating somebody, you better find somebody who understands how to put you first. He's not all about getting what he wants or doing what he wants. He is all about making sure that he is providing and protecting and leading and guiding and and he is wise and careful. That's what you need to look for. So, wives, submit to your own husbands. Voluntarily place yourself under the authority of your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ. Does that mean he is more valuable? No. It just means when it comes to responsibility, God is going to hold him responsible. Husbands, we'll get to you. Well, get to me. It scares me to death to think of what God holds me responsible for as a husband. Okay? As a husband, I'm called to do the impossible. I am called to love like Jesus has loved. <laughs> that scares me. Ladies, this is what we're called to. The husband is the head of the, of, of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. And if you think about how Christ led and laid down his life, that tells you something about how husbands are to lead. The passage goes on in verse 24, and it says this, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. In everything? Wait a minute, let's, let's qualify that. Let's qualify that. The scripture is quite plain that wives are to to follow their husbands as their husbands follow Christ. Do you follow your husband into sin? No. Does this mean that you don't ever get to speak up? Absolutely not. A wise husband better be listening to you day in and day out. Wives, we need you. I could take you back. In fact, we'll do it here in a minute, but in Genesis chapter 2, at the beginning of marriage, God created Adam, and then Adam in, God said to Adam in Genesis 2.18, he said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper that is fit for him. I want to remind you, when we walked through that passage a few weeks ago, the text is so clear. What, what is a, who, who needs a helper? Is the, is, the, is the person who needs a helper weak, or is the helper weak? The person who needs the helper is the one who is weak. You understand me? This is key. Ladies, we need you to speak into our lives. We need you to, to encourage us. I wish, I'll just speak frankly for all the guys. Can I tell you how frail we really are inside? Can I tell you? Can I tell you how frail we really are? That we need, 
We need you to speak into our lives and to help us know what is good and what is going to help guide you in a good direction. We need you to be growing in your walk with God so that we can get good advice from you. We need that. That's what we need. And so you're following Christ and you submit to your husbands, but husbands, if you're wise, you'll listen to your wives. Here's, here's the thing that I have found in every endeavor, in every, in every portion of life, submission is important. I know this. It's important in every human endeavor in order to limit conflict. You go to work, do you listen to your boss? If you don't listen to your boss, what happens? Hmm? What happens? It's just a reality. You go in the military, do you listen to the DI? If you don't, what happens? Even, even here, I have a special friend here with me today. He and I coach together. If the kids do not listen, what do they do, coach? They push. They do push-ups. Why? Because otherwise we have conflict and nobody can hear and nobody knows what to do. And, and uh, Submission is not this terrible, terrible word. It can be, be that way when, when we don't treat each other with the love of Christ but it's not this terrible word. Now, what about the husbands? Look at what the text says. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He sacrificed for her. He gave himself up on her behalf. Why? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. He laid everything down for her good. Husbands, Today, on Father's Day, we celebrate you. It's, it's, it's great, but I want you to be clear and know exactly what God has called us to. We are to lay it down for the good of our wives and our children, period. That's what we're called to do. We're to lay it down. Verse 27, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, he was trying to do something good for the church. Husbands, our goal is to do something good for our wives, not get something good from our wives. You see the distinction? What's your goal? To do something good for or to get something from? I've met all kinds of quote-unquote men who are boys. They are boys who can shave, who come home and play video games and act like because they hold down a job, they can sit at home on a beanbag with Cheetos and do whatever they want. That doesn't jive with this. Husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. Maybe it's time the Xbox get thrown away. Maybe it's time you turn your phone off. Maybe it's time you start pursuing your wife and laying your life down for her. I'm not talking about coming home with flowers, men. I'm talking about being a man who is ready and willing to serve his wife and to keep going. Why is it in our culture that so many of the wives and mothers are the ones who are doing all of the work? It's because we have failed to do what we are called to do. Guys, 
time to get off our seats. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And listen, we love our bodies. I'm not saying you love the way you look. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying we nourish it. We take care of it. We do whatever it calls us to do. That's how we should love our wives. He who loves his wife loves himself. See, here's the thing. The reality is for husbands, it's not, it's, it's like this. It's not you adjust to me. It's we adjust to God together. That's what we're trying to do. So, husbands, wives, God has told us what it's to look like and what it can look like and what will help us flourish and thrive. Now, here's the thing, guys. I want to talk to you for just one more second before we finish in the Ephesians passage, and then we'll talk briefly about singleness. There are some ways that we can be good leaders and, and, and bad leaders. Let me just point out a few ways that we can, we can highlight poor leadership. Number one, it, it's proud. If you think you've got everything figured out, you're all that and a cup of tea. I, I'm going to tell you, not tea, coffee. We're staying away from that brown water. Uh, we'll, we'll stick to coffee, okay? Uh, you're, you're not. If you have no accountability, nobody who can speak into your life and tell you the truth, if you, if you make decisions without listening to your wife or without having wise counsel, if you fail to take her feelings and her needs and her situation into account, I'm telling you, you are not a biblical leader. If you expect other people to serve you, if you are selfish, you ex- if you expect others to change first, this is the opposite of what Paul has just taught the Christians in Ephesus to do. On the other hand, here's what biblical leadership looks like. It's humble. It is. It's, it's willing to look in the mirror first and say, I am the problem. Okay? It, it welcomes accountability. It says, I know I need help. It seeks counsel before making decisions. You understand that your wife has wisdom and God has blessed you with her. It, it serves others. It's focused on others. It's willing to change first. It refuses to point the finger. It's, it, it's willing to take accountability. Here's what I want to tell you what happened with Jamie. Jamie left my office. I don't think she was very happy. I understand why. She drove home literally with the papers in her purse. I didn't know her husband. I'd actually never met her husband. She got home, and about 30 minutes later, my phone rang. And she said, what did you say to my husband? Um, nothing. I don't know your husband, and I certainly don't have any way to contact your husband. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. I said, what is going on? She said, I got home. I was walking up to the door, and my husband met me at the door, which is odd because he's always in the basement once he gets home from work. He sits down there and just drinks all night and then gets up and goes to work and then comes home and does the same thing over and over. As I opened the door, he was standing right there, and he said, hold on before you say anything. I don't know why, but I just have a feeling that you're getting ready to ask me for a divorce. And here's what I want you to know. I don't know how it happened. I just realized driving home that I have been breaking our marriage. 
here's what I'm going to do. I'm getting an apartment. I'm going to go to AA. I'm going to get sober. And when I've been sober for a year, I hope you will consider sitting down and starting marriage counseling with me. To say that my jaw hit my desk was not far from the truth. This man welcomed accountability, realized he had a problem, decided to start serving. He, he was willing to make the change first. And I can happily tell you that now he's been sober for about five years. And God has absolutely changed their family. How does that happen? happens when God intervenes, but also when we take responsibility. So, look at the end of Ephesians chapter 5. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church. We are members of His body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is, this is where intimacy comes about. We forsake other relationships for this one relationship, and we, we grow in, in knowing one another. Verses 32 and 33 say this. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking to you about the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. In other words, your marriage, in your marriage, you have an opportunity to reflect the good news of Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity to show Christ laying it all down and the church following Christ. That's the beauty of it. Now, on the other hand, here's one of the other ways that we misuse these gifts. Single people often live as though they're married. Single people living as though they are married. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 2. That verse I mentioned earlier says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Does this mean that if you're single, that it's not good? No, that's not what he's saying. You can be single and not alone. Do you understand that? You can be single and not alone. And you can be, you can be married and alone. You can be single, and you can be walking with God and growing in your walk with Him, and you can be freed up to serve in any way possible. Let me walk you through what Paul says to the church in Corinth. He says this, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, and another has that. He's actually talking about marriage. One has the gift of marriage, being married, and one has the gift of singleness. Paul was actually single, at least at this point in his life. Was he married and his wife died? I don't know. Was he married and got divorced? I don't know. Did he, did he never marry? We don't know, but we do know that at this particular time, he was single. And then in verse 8, he says this, Now to the unmarried and to the widows I say this, It is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. I love what Sam Alberry says. He's a British man who, who writes, uh, who, who pastors now in, in Tennessee, and he says this, the issue is not whether this path or that path is better, whether singleness or marriage would bring more good. The issue is God and whether I will plunge myself into him, trusting him every single day. 
regardless of what your situation is, the issue is, will you trust God day after day after day? A little bit later in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says this, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him. If you find yourself as a single person, that is a good gift. And the good gift comes with the opportunity to serve as freely as possible. If that's where you find yourself now, you are not less than. You don't need something to complete you. You have an opportunity. That opportunity is maybe different than someone else's opportunity. In fact, that's what it says in the next couple of verses. It says this, But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. Verse 34 goes on. It says this, In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Verse 35, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best as, with as few distractions as possible. So here's the thing. Let me wrap everything up with a couple of summary sentences, okay? Number one, the biggest goal for marriage is not companionship, but it is to become more like Jesus, Remember how we talked about a little bit earlier, this idea of, you know, we tend to think that the goal of marriage is to make us happy? I don't think the goal of marriage is to make you happy. I think the goal of marriage is to make you more like Jesus. So sometimes your husband drives you crazy and it reveals things in your own heart. That's a lot of fun. My wife never drives me crazy, so I, I, I have to have other people in my life to teach me a lot of things. I'm just, she would acknowledge that at times we both challenge each other to grow, to learn how to be patient and loving. The biggest goal for your marriage is not companionship, but to become like Jesus. Now, what about people who find themselves in, in the situation of being single? The biggest goal for singleness is also to be more like Jesus. So here's what I want to ask you. Here's what I want to ask you. Are you here today and married? If so, Scripture calls you to serve your spouse. Husbands, love and serve your wives. Wives, serve your husbands. Before you leave today, maybe the Spirit of God has already put it on you, but would you identify one way that you need to start serving your spouse that maybe has been difficult for you. Boy, I can certainly think of more than one way myself. If you're single, if you're single, the scripture says you have an opportunity to serve others. Would you identify one way that you can start using your gifts in the community, in the church, in your neighborhood for the glory of God. I think it's possible that God will start telling stories like Jamie's and God will start changing lives. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for Jesus and all that he's done for us. 
And thank you for the clear instruction in your word. It's not always easy. I don't always find myself going, oh man, this is exactly what I want to do. But it is what is helpful. And it is what guides me in a direction to protect me and to protect my wife and my children. God, I want good for them and I want good for each of the families here. So God, I pray that you would help us to carry out meaningful singleness and meaningful marriage. Both of them have incredible meaning. I pray that whatever status we find ourselves in, that we would be ready and willing to submit ourselves to you. We pray in Jesus' name.